Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Thank you for being here. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And today's topic is improv or improvisation. Now, what exactly is that? Well, just off the top of my head, improvisation is a form of live theater in which the plot, characters, and dialogue of a game, scene, or story are made up at the moment. Oftentimes, improvisers will take a suggestion from the audience or they'll draw on some other source of inspiration to get started. Like I said, that's just like right off the top of my head. Anyway, Andy Goldberg has been performing and teaching improv for, let's just say, thousands of years. Now, he also wrote a book about it called Improv Comedy, and it is now in its second printing, and it's available on Amazon. Andy currently teaches a couple of workshops in the Los Angeles area. Now, I've been doing improv since 1979, and I'm currently in one of Andy's workshops. I've been in his workshop for years and years. You'd think I'd get better. Anyway, recently, I sat down with Andy to talk about the art and the benefits of improv, and uh, we share a couple of stories of fellow improvisers, uh, namely Robin Williams, who did improv with us for a couple of years. So it's a very fun episode. Andy Goldberg is my guest. Let's get to that conversation right now. Hollywood and the Fine. So I always recommend to young writers thinking of getting into comedy that a great tool is improvisation and you're somebody who has taught improv and has done improv for so many years what are some of the benefits of improv to somebody who doesn't necessarily want to be an actor per se doesn't want to be on saturday night live wants to be a writer doesn't think of himself as a performer but yet it really is a helpful tool why I, I think it just uh, leads you toward a sense of humor. It, uh, you know, you can do well in business. Uh, it's socially. Uh, I had a guy come up to me at a gas station one time who had taken my class. I didn't remember him. He took it 20 years ago, he said, and it has helped his life. He said, not, not that he's an actor because of uh, in business. He said socially, the dating. It just relaxes you. It, it takes the anxiety away. You're used to improvising. Uh, with a sense of humor, and uh, it works in real life, too. Also, I think for writers who want to get into sitcom writing, ultimately, if they go on staff, 
they're going to be in a room writing situation. And some people are very good writers, but they're very shy. Yes. And uh, taking an improv class really helps you kind of break through that a little bit. Yeah, it opens you up. You're used to that kind of thing. Um, as far as in, in the writer's room, uh, when you improvise, sometimes you play characters. And so I think it helps so much with writing because you can hear the character. You can improvise the character even that you're writing, even though you're not playing it. Mm -hmm. You can improvise it in your head as you're writing the dialogue. So what are some of the principles of improv? Since you wrote the book, you invented improv, didn't you? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was me. (laughs) I I invented radio. (laughs) Uh, Let me check uh, page four here. Oh, here we go. The four basic rules. Uh, Well, don't deny is the main rule. So, um, and what people always say for improv is you say yes and. Uh Now, it's a little confusing because you don't always have to agree with what's said to you. You just can't deny what is said to you. Right. So So if I I say, um, boy, here we are in Candyland. And you go, well, this isn't Candyland. Yeah, we're, we're, we're at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> it like kills, it right. kills the scene. Right, I've stopped the scene, and now we have to argue between the two of us. Well, are we in Candyland or McDonald's? Right. Uh, so all I have to do is accept that we're in Candyland. Right. I can say, yeah, I hate Candyland. <laughs> you know? Right. Let's go to McDonald's. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I just need to accept what it is that you are presenting. And oftentimes that will lead to interesting different directions because maybe you thought at the beginning of a scene that you and I were brothers and then I make some comment about I'm your father (laughs) and you now have to go with that and take the scene in that direction. Yes, exactly. You have to be willing to give up what was in your head that you thought might happen in the scene and just play it line by line and accept what the person says. Right. One of your principles is show us, not tell us. Yeah. That uh, actually is some kind of thing. Instead of saying, here we are in Candyland, you might just go over and pick up some jujubes and go, hey, these are really tasty, which would give us an idea that we're in Candyland. Right, right. Yeah, because, and it's one thing that you always stress in class is to use your surroundings, use the situation so that it's not just two people standing there talking. So that here we are in Candyland and it's just two people standing on stage talking to each other. You could be anywhere. Right. You just labeled where you are. Right. But if you actually use the environment, pick up the... I've never been to Candyland, so I don't really know, but I'm sure there's candy You know, I have some drugs afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) We can go there and stay for several weeks. Are we almost done yet? (laughs) Well, you know, along those same lines where, where things do change, I know one of your principles is to stay in the moment. And this is something that... I'm probably guilty of more than other people in the class in that I'll think of a situation that I'm going to be in on stage. You know, you present something like, okay, it's a a guy going to a bar with a problem. Okay, so I will think in my head what my problem would be and three or four 
steps to that problem, three or four kind of jokes, but you can't get too far ahead of yourself. No, you can't. And, and you know, I, I do the same kind of thing. I'll try and come up with something and, and have some ideas right. in my head. But right. you have to be willing, like I said before, to get rid of those ideas if they don't fall into place. There's right. nothing worse than trying to force a joke into a situation where it doesn't belong. It's right. not going to be funny anyway. Right. And you're interrupting the scene. You're not playing with your partner. So have some ideas, but just be willing to abandon them. The other thing, too, is I love playing scenes where I'm the straight man. And people don't realize how important that is. Oh, yeah. That if you're playing a scene and if it's your partner's problem, his big issue, that for me to just kind of make it worse, you know, if if he has to make a horrible decision, if he has to tell me bad news, then I just try to make it as difficult for him as as possible so that it's his scene how does he do it and like i said there's a real value in being the straight man you're not in competition right. with your partner to get the most laughs the every two time. of you are making the scene work right. together right I, you know i think the biggest uh two thousand year old man mm-hmm. without carl reiner exactly there, there's nothing there exactly also play the scene legitimately commit to the characters. People think sometimes because they're on stage or they're doing improv comedy, they should be bigger than life. They should go for the jokes. The funniest stuff is what just comes out of the moment where somebody says something to you and you have a response that you didn't even know you were going to say that just works perfectly because it's right there in the moment. That's why it's so hard sometimes to repeat an improv scene because it just happens so spontaneously. Exactly. Yeah. You talk a lot about the value of listening. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the value of, of listening. You know, and it kind of goes back to not just trying to squeeze in your own thing. I think it's 75% of the scene is listening. Uh huh. Because you, again, you're in the moment. Somebody says something to you, and you know you can't know what you're going to say until you've heard the words that came to you. Just right. like in the con- like the conversation we're having, I can't answer your question before you ask it. Right. Well, there are some people who can. My <laughs> wife. Uh, <laughs> or I could look ahead on your script. Right. <laughs> and people think, well, I'm not going to be good at improv because I'm not good at coming up with jokes, and you you shouldn't try to go in being funny absolutely not i I, there was a a woman who was a just a wonderful actress and she said i'm not funny and she was hysterical in class because she committed to the character she played it legitimately she played it real she listened and responded and the character was funny so everything she said was funny i know because sometimes the funniest line in a scene could be okay exactly the (laughs) way you say okay right how you react to certain things. How do you create a character? Well, I better figure that out because I'm teaching a workshop in that on Saturday in Long Beach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's uh, techniques, I guess, to it. I mean, you can just say, okay, I'm good at a French accent, so I'll do a French accent. And then you can pick an attitude and you go, well, French people are usually snooty. Uh-huh. So if you want to play a stereotype, you could play a snooty Frenchman. But you could, you know, do a twist on it and make him the sweetest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Attitude is a big part of character, I think. 
some people can do funny voices, character voices. Some people can do accents. Some people can't. But um, just having an attitude that you're playing or an opinion about something. Let's say things that are fat, you know, a, a certain fad. Mm-hmm. You can be so into that fad or so against that fad. And that can just be the basis of your character. I tell people to observe people at the mall, on the street, uh, pick your crazy uncle, imitate him, pick right. people that irritate you, people that you go, oh, God, what a character he is. And we've all said that. Make that your character. Mm-hmm. I find if you just go to Starbucks and you order a coffee and you sit at a table and you just listen to the conversations around you, yeah. oh, my God, you'll have 17 characters right there. Oh, yeah. You know, Overheard in conversation. I've been coming to your workshop for a, a number of years. And 40, 45 forty five years? 45 years, yeah. You've only been doing it for four. <laughs> but I have seen people come through the class who have really taken big steps and have really improved. And what are some of the, the reasons why they improve? Because I'm teaching it? Well, besides that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, they catch on. There was a woman in my class, and and for three years, it's like she didn't get it. And then one day, she got it. Mm -hmm. And it was weird, and she's been very good ever since. But I, I think she finally tapped into her strengths. And I think some of it is that people are nervous, and the first thing they do usually uh, at their first improv class is talk way too much. Mm-hmm. They're not listening. They just, they're nervous, you know, just like sometimes on a date, somebody will talk too much. Right. Uh, so after a little while, they get it and they go, okay, calm down, listen, play off the other person. Don't worry about it so much. Right. And the thing too is you don't have to be great. My improvement, I believe, and I still have a long way to go, but my improvement has come from screwing up, doing scenes that I drive home and I go, God, I should have done this and I forgot to do that and everything, which I then remember for the next time. And also by watching other people and watching scenes that, that do work and paying attention and learning from it. That's a big part of it, watching other people and, you know, experiencing it. One aspect of your class that, that I appreciate is that it's not competitive. You know, there are more formalized institutions like UCB and the Groundlings, and they're, they're terrific, but they have There's a various goal. levels and goals and yeah. things, and, and those people are trying to move up the ladder. They're trying to get into the show and then be able to audition for Saturday Night Live. Right. And my classes, I hope, are more geared to just learning how to do improv. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there is a, a show that you could possibly get into. Um, I have Off the Wall and I have uh, Mostly Organic. But the people are there to have a good time and to learn to improvise. Right. And a lot of the people in, in the class that you're in are just pros that are there for the workout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's really fun. It's, it's fun for me because I've always said, you know, I don't want to be the best person in the class, which is good because I never am. But, <laughs> you know, because I want to be entertained by yeah, the other people. That's you know? part of it is the <laughs> yeah. fun of watching. That's how I got addicted to improv. I went to one class 
And I had the best time. I was watching a really funny show, and I was also in it, you know? And it was <laughs> right. like, well, I could do this every week. Uh-huh. And it turned out three times a week, but... <laughs> you, you do an exercise that I've mentioned in my blog as well, and I think it's really a good one for writers, and it's called New Choice. Yes. And that's a scene where you and I will be at uh, an ice cream store, and I'll be ordering, and I'll say, uh, okay, I'd like a vanilla ice cream. And you go, new choice. And I the, say, There'll be a caller. So right. the two of us are doing the scene. The right. third person we'll is calling. calling. They'd say, new choice. Yeah, new choice. And I'd go, uh, chocolate ice cream. New choice. Corned beef mm. ice cream. Right. You know? yeah. And what it forces you to do, and this is a great tool for writers, is not just go with the first thing that you think of. Right, because that's what everybody else thinks of, probably. Right. And, you know, you'd be surprised because you will just throw it in in the middle of a scene so that somebody is not necessarily thinking, oh, um, okay, this is the first of four or five ideas. They'll just say something and you go, give me an alternate. And hmm. they don't have time to think, which right. is the good thing. Right. They just have to blurt out whatever comes into their mind, and a lot of times you come up with the funniest thing that way. Mm -hmm. One of the tools you mentioned off the wall, and you've been doing that for how many years now? Uh, uh, we so started in 1928. <laughs> you've been doing it a few. Yeah, over you've been 40 doing years. A few. It's like a master class in, in improvisation. And one of the things that really impresses me with your group, and I've seen younger groups, and they don't do this as much, is that there is a certain literacy to off the wall. I mean, you guys need a knowledge of history, of theater styles, literature, politics. It's not just popular culture. So you guys are really students of a lot of things, and you bring a lot of things to the dance. You know, a lot of that also is the um, who's in the group. Everybody has their strengths. Mm -hmm. I'm not a great student of history, but there are people who are. Right. I'm not the most well-read person, but there are people in my group that are. I do characters. There's other people who don't. Right. So we all bring something to the party, and I think it just happens to be this great chemistry between that group, and that's why it works. Talk a little bit about Off the Wall. Who are some of the people who have been in Off the Wall? You know, what's so weird is the people that became the most successful that were in Off the Wall have almost all passed away. Wow. Which is so odd. Wow. Robin Williams, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, John Ritter worked with us uh, a number of times, and we did a, actually a pilot for ABC with him. It was an off-the-wall pilot, but he was the guest star. Gary Shanling was in the workshop for years. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't want to jinx anybody. But... <laughs> I was going to say, I'd love to go to the workshop on Wednesday, but I'm busy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, uh -huh. not the workshop, yeah. but, but the but people who are actually uh, in, in, in the show. Um, Robin worked uh, with us for about a year and a half. He was living in his car when he first arrived in L.A., uh -huh. and... Uh, uh, Susan Elliott was in our group, and she brought him in and said, uh, hey, he wants to play. And, you know, the first night he was there, we were like, oh, wow, you know. And, and Dee <laughs> right. Marcus, who uh, 
who had started the group and was running the group, asked him to be in the show that weekend, and he stayed for about a year and a half, became Mork during that time. Mm-hmm. If I he can... was hard. I have to say, I love Robin. He was very hard to do scenes with because he was, like, so brilliant, and he would kind of use you as a post. And I, I tell the story about, because I was in the workshop with Robin, and one time I had to do a scene with him. He launches into whatever he's doing, and I'm just, like, standing there. And finally, when he takes a breath, like, the only thing I can think of is to say, fuck you. <laughs> okay? And it got a laugh. It probably got a laugh. It got yeah. a laugh. And then he well, goes off and, again, just, you know, three minutes of stuff. And when he takes a breath, I say, fuck you. And it gets another laugh. <laughs> and this happened, like three times and finally my last fuck you got a huge laugh and was the end of the scene and as i was walking off i thought oh man he's gonna really be pissed at me because i obviously upstaged him and robin put his arm around my shoulder and he said that was great (laughs) (laughs) hey you guys got laughs and uh, it worked exactly i was on stage this is when we were uh, still performing at the dance studio on Fairfax, and I was on stage with Susan Elliott, who had brought Robin to us, and we were supposed to be little kids uh, playing baseball. And Robin went behind the audience into the foyer of the... It was the dance studio into the foyer. Right. And is playing the scene from back there as if he's in the outfield. So now the entire audience is turned around, and they're watching <laughs> and listening to Robin, and, and Susan and I are on stage looking at each other, you know, like... <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> I, I don't remember. I think that was the night that Norman Lear came to the show. Oh. And um, so Norman Lear uh, came up to me at the intermission, and I'm like, okay, this is it, you know? This is my career is now beginning. <laughs> oh, no. You know, this was <laughs> 1978, I think. Um, comes, right. up, he comes up to me, and I'm like so excited. Norman Lear's coming to talk mm-hmm. to me, you know? And he goes... Boy, is that Robin Williams funny? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, uh, yes, he is. Can't can't deny it. <laughs> you know, he was very funny, but there was really like a switch that would turn off. Because I also remember we would all go out and get something to eat after class, and there were times when he would just sit there like a church mouse. Yeah, he, his, his regular personality was pretty quiet, actually. Yeah, it's it, it's just when he was on. Uh, and, and some of it had to do with, you know, because he was a stand-up uh, as well as an improviser. And so when he would go on the road and open for some big band or something, he'd come back. And then he was more uh, presentational. He w- didn't play the scene as well. Uh-huh. But when he worked with us on a regular basis, it got to a point where, you know, he was playing like everybody else. Uh-huh. You, you must have had, over the years, some crazy incidents <laughs> during these shows, uh, yes, during the shows and <laughs> during and, the shows and during the workshop, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I speaking of Robin, I had a guy call me at seven thirty in the morning one time, and um, he goes, "Hi, I'm a personal friend of Robin Williams, and I'd like to come to your workshop." <laughs> My name is Gary Skybird, and he talked like that. Uh-huh. And his name was Gary Skybird. Uh-huh. So at the time, I was living with Jeff Franklin who created Full House, and I was teaching the improv out of our living room. And okay. I had hats hanging on the wall, you know, to mm-hmm. use as um, costume pieces. And it was a big living room. We didn't have much furniture because we couldn't afford it. So the class would be in there. 
So we have the class that night, and Gary Skybird shows up, and he's got a, a, a three-piece box from the colonel that he brings in with him. And he's eating this fried chicken in his lap <laughs> as, as the class is starting. And, and I see him, and I know this is trouble. And he's a little handsy with some of the actresses, and I'm, you know, I'm going, freeze. All right, let, you know, right. get him off stage. <laughs> so uh, it, I would take a break during the class, and, you know, I knew these people, so I would let them, I usually put coffee out, and so they'd have the run of the house, basically. Right. So he went to the uh, back master be- uh, bathroom, <laughs> which was at the other end of the house, and he had brought a can of shaving cream and a razor, and he, and I come, the break is <laughs> over, and I'm looking for people. He's shaving in my bathroom. I'm like, oh, so I go, come on, come on, come on. So he comes back. He puts shaving cream and stuff in his pockets. So the people in the class don't know he's been shaving, but he's got shaving cream in his ears. Uh-huh. People uh-huh. actually asked me if he was mad that he was foaming of the ears. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was pretty nutty, that guy. And then I got a call from somebody, and it turns out his name was Andy. And I was teaching over on Robertson at the time in a theater there. And uh, he said, I'd like to come to your class. I said, okay. So as I was, I parked the car. As I walk into class, I walk past this little park. And there's a guy who's like kind of sitting in a tree with a stocking cap on. And I'm going, uh, that guy seems odd. Uh-huh. Come to the class. Turns out that's the guy who's there to be there. <laughs> so, I, you know, I can't help myself. I go, so um, how'd you hear about the class? He goes, oh, your book was in the prison bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. Uh, you know, the you know the the, the teacher is going. Oi, I got to get this guy out of here. You know, the right. the writer is going. Hey, I sold another book. Right. <laughs> so so I go. Uh, hey, do you mind my asking what were you in for? So he says GTA, which is Grand, Grand Theft, Theft Auto. Auto. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, there was a, a pretty blonde uh, woman in the class, and uh, a little while later, she leans over to me and she says, uh, "So I guess I shouldn't ask him to walk me to my car after class." <laughs> uh, yeah, improv attracts some oddballs. You had uh, a guy in our class who was a doctor yes. by trade. Yes, he was, and and I, he was like a mobile doctor. He he was like you know consulting and going to different places and stuff, and so. He had all these drugs in in his car. He would meet people at Starbucks down the street from the class and and <laughs> and have an appointment with them, do a diagnosis. Uh, uh-huh. you know, I came in with an upset stomach one night. He pulled a handful of pills out of his pocket, not <laughs> not in a container, just in his pocket. Here, take one of these now and take one in four hours. I couldn't do it. What happens if you get somebody in class that like freaks the other people in the class out? You know, because I, I would assume somebody like that, you know, the the tree guy or Gary. Yeah, uh, yeah. Gary came only that night. I invited him not to come back. Uh-huh. Uh, the other guy actually had talent. You know, you could tell the guy that had uh-huh. been in prison, and and you know if. You want to think, I'm going to be the one to turn this guy around. He just got out of prison. I'm going to, you know, show him how to improvise. It's going to change his life. And he he came, I think, three weeks in a row, told me he would pay me the next week each time, and then stopped coming, so I never got paid. So you guys perform at the improv. You've probably performed at some bizarre places, haven't you? We performed 
in a mall, like just as people are walking by, going uh-huh. to stores. Uh-huh. I don't remember what the show was, but I know that we performed in a place where there was a body of water between us and the audience. Cape we Canaveral. Were, yeah, like we were performing <laughs> over a lake or something. It was just anybody so in the great. audience want to come up and join us? <laughs> yes, anybody want to swim over? <laughs> just insane. You know, we went from the dance studio, which was we had to set up chairs every night and actually put the stage together. Right, and and that's where it all started. We were there for five years and we got great reviews. And um, so then we. I don't remember if they invited us. I went over and asked or whatever. Anyway, we uh, started performing at the Improv on Melrose, and we were there for 14 years, hmm. which was way different than the dance studio. Um, people are drinking. People are drinking, so we're much funnier. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, it was like four or five times the size of it. And then every once in a while, there'd be, uh, you know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld would go on after us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to try out his material for his show. Right. So uh, we had that. Um, one night, Roseanne, I guess, was going to go on, and she's sitting in the audience, and she's talking through the whole show <laughs> to somebody. You know, when yesterday, <laughs> you know, and I was improvising a song, and I just couldn't, I could hear her, she, and she was uh, on the second tier. Right. So I just kept singing as I walked off stage, went up to her table and sang the song directly to her so she couldn't talk through it. <laughs> and then uh, what else happened? One, uh, one night uh, I was heckled by Rodney Dangerfield. He was, <laughs> he was wearing pajamas and a robe. Okay. In, in the improv. Right. Okay, like on a Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it was but Monday night. We were always there Monday nights. Okay. But, yeah, but it was crowded. Monday night was the night at the improv because it became dance night after our show was over. So the place oh, was packed. Great. But, but it brought a lot of people in. And so Rodney's there and he's, you know, maybe he drank. Maybe he had some <laughs> drugs. Who am I to say? Uh, but he started heckling, you know. And I look at it, it's Rodney Dangerfield heckling me, heckling me in pajamas. <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> so did you come back at him? or uh, You know, I think he wandered off before I even could. Uh-huh. So I didn't really have much of a chance. Who else? Brian Cranston was in my class for about a year and reacquainted himself with uh, the woman that became his wife. They, huh. they had met. On a soap opera. Right. But hadn't seen each other in a long time. Both ended up in my class, started dating again, and, you know, now they're married. Have you had romances in your class that, that started? I've had three or four. Uh-huh. Oh, oh no. you don't mean me personally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that one for sure. You know, I'm not sure who's hooked up. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's the only one I know for sure. I did. We did do a thing over at UCLA one time because they had a, you know, they were learning how to produce sitcoms, and, and we went over and uh, did our improv show, and they filmed it. And they did three camera, and the stage manager was this uh, knockout blonde, turned out to be Heather Thomas. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I go, hey, you know, I have a workshop on uh, <laughs> Wednesday nights. You should come by, you know. <laughs> and, and so she showed up, but she brought her boyfriend. Oh, 
who turned out to be Corbin Burnson. <laughs> so Heather really didn't stay in the class long, but Corbin uh, I stayed with me for a year or two. Yeah, no, I remember he was in the class. Yeah, yeah. I remember the night he said, um, hey, I landed a pilot. Yes. This Stephen Bochco thing called L.A. Law. L.A. Law. Yeah. I remember going to the improv after class, and, you know, it's, I think he bought drinks that night. Yeah, I think yeah. he did. <laughs> I think he did. If somebody wants to join your workshop, how do they do it? How do they get in touch with you? Well, I, should I give out my phone number here? You can go no, to you can, Facebook. You, Facebook, uh, off, uh, Andy Goldberg's Improv Comedy Workshops on Facebook. And uh, just message me there or find Andy Goldberg on Facebook and message me there. You can also uh, email me at HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com and I'll get you squared away too. And talk a little bit about the book. What's the name of the book? Oh, great. Uh, thanks for that. It's called Improv Comedy. Originally published in uh, 1992, uh, but I did a 20th anniversary edition in 2012 that I published myself. It was originally published by uh, Samuel French, but they stopped publishing books, so I just uh, self-published the second one and uh, got a really nice uh, exclusive interview with Brian Cranston for that, talking about improv, uh, which uh, is uh, annotated in the book. And it's available where? It's available probably on Amazon.com. Amazon.com? Yeah, or the trunk of my car. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Either one. Well, Andy, thanks much. I tell you, improv and your class has been like a huge joy for me. I take years. all the credit yeah, for your yeah. entire career, Ken. <laughs> this <laughs> is the man. This is the man right here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take one of my Emmys, one of your Emmys with me on my way out. Well, so. <laughs> everyone gets a parting gift. No, it's, it's, okay. I've been thrilled to have you in the class all these years. Great. Andy Goldberg, we'll be back after this. And that will do it for this week. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. And if you have uh, any comments, any questions, again, you want more information about Andy Goldberg's workshops, you can always email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Hey, a programming note. Every year, I write my bitchy Oscar review. And for the last number of years, what I've been doing is posting them on my blog. But this year, like last year, I am going to record it for the podcast. So if you want to hear my snarky, bitchy Academy Awards review, you got to come right here. The Academy Awards are Sunday night, March 4th, and I'm going to write it and record it as soon as the show is over and hopefully get it to drop like Monday morning, March 5th. So stay tuned for that if you uh, want to hear my Oscar review. And it should really be bitchy this year because these are really crappy movies this year. Anyway, that's going to do it again. Our thanks to Andy Goldberg. We will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.